Welcome to Exchange Church, where we desire to connect and grow people in Jesus. Thanks for listening to our Bible message today, and feel free to share it around. Good morning, I'm Alex. Um, today is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 15. Pray for all people. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high position, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of our God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a a preacher, And an apostle, I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. With good works, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. If they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate that. Well, welcome to Exchange. If you're here for the first time, we come to a really important part of our service now, where we uh, open up God's Word. And uh, as you've seen through our kids segment, uh, and then with our Bible reading, we're going through the first book of Timothy, uh, preaching right through that, and uh, very. Stirring passage, Alex just read for us then. You probably all got very excited in those last few verses there about that's a bit tricky. We're not going to cover that this week. You'll have to come back next week. Uh, I did say last week that I was going to cover it, but as I um, was reading through and thinking over chapter 2, um, I really got stuck on the first 10 verses. Uh, and we're going to really, we're going to major on those today. But come back next week and we will tackle some of the most difficult verses in the Bible. I'm sure you all want to come back for that next week. Uh, but it's good for us as with that. But let's not focus there now. Let's focus on this. Um, have you ever noticed that if you ask to pray for someone, whether it's a believer or unbeliever, you'll probably never get knocked back on that if you ask to pray for somebody. Uh, just about everybody will accept some type of prayer. It'll be a rare person who refuses, actually, please don't pray for me. You, you might get that very rarely, but that'll be a rare thing that'll happen. Uh, what has God done? God has ordained that his remarkable power works through prayer. A simple prayer brings peace in the middle of a storm. A simple prayer brings calmness to our thinking when wisdom is required. It's remarkable the way God chooses to use prayer uh, to display his power and to achieve and carry out his purposes uh, in the world. 
Paul, in this first part of this chapter here, is going to remind Timothy to keep prayer on the front burner of the churches in Ephesus. So that's where we're going to go. Let's, let's pray now that the Lord will help us uh, as we step through this. Father, we thank you for this precious word. We thank you for the first book of Timothy. We thank you, Lord, today we have this privilege here today to open it up and to allow you to speak into our hearts and our lives. Lord, as Paul leads Timothy into seeing a healthy household, a church grow and flourish, uh, may we see also what you want us to see today, uh, that prayer and mission are vital for a healthy church to keep growing. Uh, Lord, we ask for your help now. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, one thing that Paul did do, or was known for, sorry, was his evangelism work. He was a uh, a red-hot evangelist travelling the Roman world at that time. Paul was deeply convicted about the mission of the gospel, and there's no doubt that Paul would have heard uh, from other sources the parting words that Jesus gave to his disciples. Uh, We see it in Matthew 28, which is to go into all the world and to make disciples. That was Jesus' final commission or final parting words to the disciples that he'd raised up and taught for three years. He said to them, go into the world and make disciples. Uh, well, that's what you do when you've got the best news you could ever hear, isn't it? You actually want to, it just makes sense that you want to tell others about that. And they heard this good news of who Jesus was and they wanted to do that. And it just makes sense. When you've landed a new job, you want to tell others and share the good news that you've got a new job. Or when a married couple are pregnant, you want to share the good news about this gift of pregnancy. So it's just, when you do that, you want to share good news. It's very obvious. Paul's been given a revelation of who Jesus Christ is, the Son of God who reconciles us back to God. And now Paul is on this mission to share this amazingly good news so that others too can be reconciled to God as well. Not only is this mission for Paul, this mission is for the church as a whole. It's not just Paul's mission alone. When Jesus said that the disciples, he's really talking to all disciples Let's take this mission and let's go into all the world and make disciples. Paul's writing to Timothy. We saw the intro of that last week. Writing to Timothy to set good order and structure in the churches and also to get their focus back on the main thing here of what the church should be about and what the church should be setting its business towards. Uh, He now reminds them that that, that, that one of the primary goals of the church is, in this particular passage here, is prayer... And mission. Prayer and mission he's going to tackle here in these first 10 verses. Firstly, uh, there were false teachers and leaders within the churches who were leading them astray at this particular time around Ephesus. They'll be getting caught up in all this sort of fringy, marginal stuff and some of the stuff that was just pure speculation, really just a waste of time. We saw Paul was addressing that with Timothy last week and they were losing sight of the main game and not loving the people around them by not telling them about Jesus and who he is and what he came to do. Paul now reminds Timothy and us what a family of God, a church, now does with this good news that we've received as followers of Jesus. He's going to try and help Timothy get that back on track here again. Here's where we're going to head today, then as we think about that, this will sort of frame where we're going. God urges us to pray to pray to him to carry out this mission of proclaiming Jesus so that people would be saved. That's what Paul's heading in these first 10 verses here of chapter 2. 
Uh, right off the top, uh, Paul urges us to pray as a church for others. He opens straight off there in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says this, first of all, first things, first of all, then I urge, earnestly ask you, urge, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. This is the task of the church. We are to be a praying church for all people. Paul's instructing Timothy, pray. Now, I don't believe in a sense there that Paul's trying to give us four different ways of praying, supplications, prayers, intercessions, thankgivings. I don't think he wants us to dissect that to say they're all different types of praying. I think really what Paul is saying there, I just want you to pray. Whatever way you might think about it or whatever way you might express it or how you might do it, Paul's saying whatever you do and however you may express this, pray. Pray for all people, Paul tells Timothy. That's a good thing, isn't it? There's a number of things we can pray for when we pray for people. could be this. It's absolutely right that we pray for people when they're up against challenges of life and they need assistance in, in those difficult circumstances. We can pray that God will give them assistance and help them through those challenges of life. That's a good thing to pray for. If, pre- if people are feeling unwell or sick or in need of a... Um, uh, healing in some way, it's a really good thing and a good thing to pray for people to be healed, whether they're a believer or they're an unbeliever. That's a great thing to pray for other people, that God would heal them of their sickness or illness or whatever it might be. That's a good thing to do in loving others. I think, though, the most important thing we can do for those who aren't truly following Jesus in praying for them is to pray for their salvation. Sure, we want to pray for their healing and um, help to get through a challenging circumstance, but they might get healed and they might get through the challenging circumstance, but if they don't become a follower of Jesus, that's not going to go well for them at the end of time when they stand before the Lord. Because if we think about it, uh, these people, many of those who are family and friends who aren't believers, cannot save themselves. In Ephesians chapter 2, we are told that we are dead in our sins. That means we're unable to come to the Lord in our own strength. We can't do that in a natural state. In our natural state, we don't truly want to come to God. He's not really on our radar. We may, God, we may give God some kind thoughts, particularly when we get in a difficult strait, we might call out to God if we're an unbeliever, but really we don't want to call him the Lord of my life in our natural state. So believers pray for unbelievers. We ask the Holy Spirit to soften their hearts, to see who Jesus is, and that they would believe in him for salvation. We we pray for that. We pray for all people, as Paul's instructed Timothy there, and we especially pray for their salvation if they're not already following Jesus. To pray actually for their salvation is probably the most loving thing we can do for them in their lost state. It's loving to pray for those other things, but to see them saved has got to be the most loving thing we can do for them, and praying for that will help facilitate that in that way. So first of all, Paul urges, pray for all people. Then he moves on to verse 2, praying about kings and rulers, and he says this, following on, for kings, so praying again, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, pray for kings and rulers, regardless of who your political preference is. We are to pray for all rulers. They didn't really have a choice back in those days. The emperor was the emperor. You didn't actually have a real sort of, you know, 
voting system d- democracy like we've got. And when Paul writes this, pray for all kings, he's thinking of the Caesar of the day. At that particular time, Emperor Nero was in power in the Roman Empire. He was not a good dude at all. He was a tyrant. He killed thousands and thousands of Christians. Paul says, pray for kings and all rulers, regardless of your political persuasion. Pray for them. Paul wants us to pray for all rulers so they will govern well and promote and the well-being of a harmonious society and community so we can lead a godly and dignified life, as Paul says there. And the idea of this is that is if we lead, lead peaceful lives in a peaceful community, that should give us maximum ability, as it were, to tell people about Jesus and make disciples. That's what Paul's getting at. He's not getting at, if you were thinking, can we just have a laid-back and cruisy lifestyle here, just a godly, quiet life, and I'll just keep to myself. No, Paul's not really meaning that. He's actually meaning here, facilitate good conditions so we can freely tell people about Jesus. Because if you think about the world we live in, some places it's not easy. Certainly it's not easy in North Korea or Afghanistan to tell people about Jesus. You'll probably get killed for that. If we were having this meeting today in North Korea or Afghanistan, we'd probably all end up in jail. That's not making it real easy to tell people about Jesus. God's kingdom can still grow in those hard conditions, but it's a lot easier if we can do it like this and just go out there and tell people. So he's saying, pray for your rulers. Pray for all those kings and those in high authority. Pray that you'll be able to live a godly, dignified, peaceful life. So why? will have good conditions to be able to freely share Jesus. A healthy church, a healthy household of God, is a praying church. It's a praying church. Paul moves on in verses 3 to 6. He gives this reason for praying as well in this way. This pleases God, he says in those verses, the same God who desires that all would be saved. Paul's revealing us here as, a, as it were, a snapshot of, of the heart of who God is. Who is God? That God is a God who saves. God is a God who desires to rescue. If you read through Ezekiel, you'll come across a verse there that says, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That is not God's heart to crush and burn people. God's heart is to rescue and to save people. And that's the mission that Jesus came on. Have a look in verses 5 and 6. Paul, uh, after coming off the back of three and four, uh, talks about God saving. And then he says this, for, this is sort of linked to verses three and four, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. What did he do? He gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. That's a picture of God's heart on display there. The God who saves. Jesus, the Son of God, the God-man who gives his life as a ransom. This is not sort of, you know, a second in command in heaven or one of the lowly angels. This is God himself coming to give himself as a ransom to rescue and to save. Jesus comes, if you pick up this idea of ransom that Paul's talking about here, Jesus comes to set Free those who are prisoners of sin and Satan. It's like a prisoner swap. Jesus comes to exchange himself to set us free from sin and death, and he does that by the cross, 
by bearing all of our sin, our guilt, our shame, our condemnation, he gives himself a ransom on the cross for us. So this gospel here is all about Jesus. This mission here that Paul's talking about, what we're going to pray for in the sense of good circumstances, good conditions and praying for all people, is because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. This is the mission that the church prays for, corporately and individually. Paul's urging, that's what you pray. Paul goes on, talks some more to Timothy about this mission as well. Paul goes and reminds Timothy that we are part of the mission. It's not just something for Timothy, it's not just something for Paul, it's for all of us. And Paul does this by demonstrating himself in verse 7, he says this, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. We're commissioned to carry out this task as the church. Paul there says, I'm a preacher. I'm a herald. I'm an announcer. I'm a proclaimer of the gospel. Preaching is one way and a fairly um, significant way that's ordained by God and how he wants the gospel to be heard. The Holy Spirit works through faulty vessels like me, I'm not perfect, no, far from it, in preaching so that people would be saved. There's something about preaching where God uses that dynamic to rescue and save people. The word of God is proclaimed and preached. The Holy Spirit works in that and begins to open up eyes and minds to believe what is spoken. Uh, This preaching or proclaiming, uh, the gospel happens in many ways, like corporate gathering this morning, that's Legitimate. This is what we do. It's a regular part of our life here at Exchange to grow as disciples. That's one way that this preaching and proclaiming can be done, but it's not the only way because it also happens in a one-to-one setting as well where every single person becomes, as it were, the priesthood of all believers. We are all priests before the Lord and we all can become uh, this opportunity to proclaim the gospel. We are commissioned to proclaim the gospel as individual disciples with every opportunity we get. We're part of this mission. Not just Paul, not just Timothy, not just me, it's everybody. So as a church, this is what we try and do. We seek to train people to be able effectively communicate Jesus to others. Because we sort of want to get, okay, what do we want to tell people? We want to, you know, it's it's, um, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. There's a bit of a sort of way we can follow to help people. It may, not, it may not always come out like that in those ways, but we can talk about God's created us. We've fallen and sinned before God. God sent Jesus to rescue us, restore us, and then redeem, uh, redeem, sorry, redemption and restoration will be when we are in heaven. Now, like I said, there's various ways to tackle those conversations, but it's good to be able to talk, okay, what's a way I can navigate through a conversation? So we do that from time to time in our Christian Grow Groups. We do a, an evangelism series, how to actually share our faith. Putting that, though, in context with this co-mission, we are on mission with Christ, co-laborers with Jesus. Within the context of prayer, this needs lots of prayer to carry out this mission. That's why Paul's coming back to it here. Sharing the gospel isn't easy. We get fearful about doing this. Has anybody got fearful about sharing Jesus with other people? There's a few hands going up. There's a few honest ones. It's amazing when you... Feel that opportunity coming and you've got words there and it's like the throat just tightens up a little bit and the chest goes a bit harder and your, your mind goes a bit blank and your, your bit of fear jumps in. So what do we do? We pray. 
we ask the Holy Spirit to give us boldness to talk about Jesus with our friends. It's not wrong to get fearful, but it's really right to ask the Holy Spirit in prayer, please give me the courage and the boldness to be able to speak. We're not always dialed in for witnessing opportunities. We can easily miss them at times. We just get to the end of a conversation that I probably could have said something back there and I just missed it. Well, here's what I do. I pray every day, Lord, help me to be alert. Help me to be alert in conversations. Help me to be alert as I'm with people for when's an opportunity to say something, which you don't get a chance maybe to say everything, but you might be able to say something. So there's something we've got to pray for. Help me to be dialed in. Help me to be alert and looking for an opportunity to talk about who Jesus is and the way he's impacted my life. We also want to be uh, winsome and loving as we share Christ and present Jesus. We don't want to be sort of cold and hard and sterile. We want to be winsome and loving. So what do we do? We ask the Holy Spirit to help us to witness in a loving and understanding way with others. Empathising with what they're going through, but also showing how the gospel can speak into that. We don't want to be sort of, you know, just cold to who they are in their circumstances. We want to be winsome and loving about who Christ is in our presentations of presenting Jesus. We also want to be truthful in the gospel, in sharing Christ. We don't want to avoid the harder parts of the gospel. It's really easy to want to avoid perhaps talking about judgment, talking about hell. Now you're not going to land there first, but they are legitimate parts of the gospel presentation. So we ask the Holy Spirit, help us to be truthful and honest about all of uh, the, the gospel, every aspect of it, and not just step around some parts. We pray about that. So as we carry out this mission, we need to pray constantly, constantly for strength and power to do this. This is why Paul's stirring Timothy to get the church back on track, back with his focus, keeping the main thing the main thing. It's prayer and it's mission. Now, verses 8 to 10, this passage are a bit tricky to work out where they fit best. Now, for me, I'm going to use them sort of this week and next week. I was sort of looking through it. I've got one commentator said this, another commentator said that. I'm trying to see, actually, yeah, that's sort of right. I think we can use them this week and also next week as we talk about gender roles as well. Let's jump in. In this earnest urging us to pray as a church, Paul tells Timothy that the men should pray in verse 8. Have a look with me. He follows on after putting all that out and he says... I desire that then I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarrelling. Now very often in this few verses and the next that follow on, Paul gets labelled as a misogynist or a woman hater. He is not that, okay? Let's get this really clear and we'll deal more with that next week. This doesn't mean that women can't pray. Or they aren't to pray. So don't get Paul wrong here. He's actually just trying to lay out some various roles here as we try and see the church work effectively. Paul wants the men to lead in prayer. Timothy, get the men to pray. He doesn't want the men to sit back in the shadows of life, sit back in the shadows of the circumstances they're in, and just allow the women to come in and fill the gaps when it comes to prayer. Timothy... Get the men to pray. That's what a healthy church looks like. 
men leading in prayer. To carry out this mission here of the gospel in this prayerful attitude, men are to lift up holy hands in prayer. Now, Paul's not telling us that must be the posture for all praying. What Paul's getting at here is a heart attitude. If you want to pray with hands up, that's really okay. If you want to pray with your hands down, that's okay as well. That's not Paul's trying to teach us here. He's trying to help us here get the heart attitude of prayer. Timothy, have the men in the church with a gospel heart attitude to lead in prayer. Urge them, Timothy. Encourage them, Timothy. Get the men to pray and not sit back as onlookers only. Their hands have been transformed by the gospel. They're no longer fighting hands, which men do like to, you know, road rage and whatnot. Men like to fight to sort things out. No, the gospel's transformed our hands now. Our hands, metaphorically speaking, are praying hands. Hands that want to pray. People, that men that want to pray. So men, Timothy, now tell the church, men lead in prayer. Lead in prayer. In your families. In small groups. In church gatherings. Men, pray. Don't sit back. Step up and lead in prayer. This is a prayerful, missional lifestyle that aids the gospel as we pray. Paul follows on and he says to ladies in this prayerful, missional attitude also, he says, don't get caught up, ladies, in the superficial things of this world to distract you away from the task or the mission of making disciples. Look what Paul says in verse 9. You might think, how is he connecting this? Have a look. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. A lot of different directions you could go with this. But let me say this. Life isn't about for ladies... Life isn't about a competition of who can look like Taylor Swift or Margot Robbie. Got a few laughs, that's okay. Got a little bit of connection. Do some people know who Taylor Swift and Margot Robbie is? I think Taylor Swift's going to organise the election for 2024, they tell him in the States as I read the news. It's not a competition, ladies, to look like Taylor Swift or Margot Robbie, okay? It's not about that. Don't let your life as in the main thing be taken over by your appearance. It's not about how you look as the main game for your life. Don't let your time, ladies, be consumed by how you look, how you appear, to get the perfect shot for social media. It's not about that, Paul's saying. Don't let your appearance become the main thing in your life. I feel for women in this world, in a good way, I think it's a good way. It's a crushing existence for women in this world, particularly with social media. In fact, in many respects, I think social media is a disaster for women. I read a good book um, late last year called Irreversible. It was, it was about um, the trans- transgender craze 
with teenage girls uh, over the last 10 years and how social media has had a massive influence in pushing girls down that pathway. It was a brilliant book. I feel for, for women and ladies in this whole comparative thing. It's a crushing world for women to survive in if they're going to go on that sort of um, assembly line of comparison. Isn't it amazing that they're dealing with the same things back then? Appearance. This is 2,000 years ago. Paul's telling them, don't get caught up in that game. That's 2,000 years ago they're dealing with it. Actually, when I read some of the commentaries this week, there were coins back in the Roman world then that were minted with ladies and then glamorous hairstyles on the back of these coins, like, this is what you need to be to be beautiful. That's the sort of pressure even back then. You know, that was their, their way of social media back then. These coins had these pictures, these elaborate hairstyles, that this is beauty if you have this elaborate hairstyle. It's a crushing world. Paul tells Timothy here, Help the ladies by telling them that it's not where life is found, in seeking appearance and trying to keep up with the fashions and trying to keep up with the hairstyles is the main thing. Don't go there, Paul says. In fact, here's the main thing, ladies, in a prayerful, missional lifestyle, as as much as men are praying, Paul says this in verse 9, adorn yourselves, enhance yourselves, with respectable apparel and modesty and self-control. So don't get caught up in these sort of fashions that reveal more and more of your skin, so to speak. Don't get caught up in that. And then he goes on to verse 10, he says, after gold hair and braids and pearls, verse 10, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. So for women who profess godliness, we're shaped by Jesus, shaped by the gospel, good works. Adorn yourself with that. Adorn or enhance yourself, Paul is saying, with the beauty of a gospel-transformed character. It's the inner beauty coming out of you, not so much the outer beauty of hairstyles and braids and gold and pearls and all those sorts of things. That's the lifestyle, Paul would say there, of a woman on prayerful mission to make disciples. Not getting pulled back into the world and appearance sake, but actually thinking about this from a character perspective. Now, please don't let me get it wrong here, or don't hear me wrong by Paul saying that doing your hair and wearing jewellery is wrong. Okay? Paul is not saying that. He's definitely not saying that. Let me say that again. Paul is not saying that doing your hair and wearing jewellery is wrong. Paul is not saying that. Go ahead, get your hair done, put on some earrings, put on a necklace and do those things. That's okay. What Paul is saying though is don't try and draw attention to yourself by your appearance as the main driving force in life. Don't spend all your time trying to look like Taylor Swift or Margot Robbie or whoever else you might be looking at. Don't make that the main driving force in your life. You're trying to draw attention to yourself by your appearance. Paul's saying, draw attention to Jesus as they see him living out through your life with a beautiful, humble character. You're not drawing attention to you. You're drawing attention to Jesus living out through you. I'm not a woman, but let me tell you, that must be the most liberating thing you could hear. I'm not trying to compare with the rest. 
Who the heck's going to compare with Margot Robbie and Taylor Swift? Nobody. And that's really okay. Because you're not those people. Let the character of Christ come out. That is the beauty that you need to build. Paul wants men and women in prayerful missional attitude to have a lifestyle here that matches up with the gospel, which makes Jesus look like their treasure. Not fashion and hairstyles or not fighting and quarrelling and trying to stamp your authority with your men. A lifestyle of prayer and a lifestyle of character that makes Christ look glorious. Now let me round this out with some closing thoughts. Gee, this time's getting away from me. It appears that false teachers and leaders here in the Ephesian churches got so caught up here in myths, genealogies and wild speculations, they lost sight of the mission that Jesus had given them. Men stopped praying and women got caught up in beauty and appearance. A healthy church is a church on mission. That's what a healthy church is. A healthy church recognises that there are multitudes of people around us who are perishing and who are walking the broad road to hell, blinded by Satan as they live. That's what a healthy church recognises and understands. A healthy church understands that they are around us right now. People who are perishing and people who are walking the broad path to hell. Where are they? Well, some of them are driving past us right now in their cars. Some of them are sitting in cafes right now enjoying brunch. Some of them are down at the lake, walking around the lake right now. Some of them are going to gym right now. Where are these people? Some of them are in their gardens right now, just working away in their gardens. Where are they? Some of them are on their farms, just working on their farms right now. Paul wants us to recognise there are multitudes and multitudes around us right here that are on the broad path to destruction. Who are they? They're people we sit next to at work Monday to Friday. Who are they? They're people we go to school or uni with. Who are they? They're people we may even play sport with in social activities. Who are they? They are people that we see regularly when we go shopping. They're all around us. But the Bible tells us they're perishing and they don't know it. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, let's get the church back on track. Let's get the church back on track with what Jesus has told us to do. Let's remember we are a church on mission with Jesus for his glorious gospel, Timothy. Paul tells Timothy, let's start praying for the lost. Paul urges and earnestly asks us to pray for these people who aren't praying for themselves. Now, sometimes we can have questions here about prayer. Well, why pray, Todd? If God is sovereign and he's ordained every event that takes place in this world and he can do what he wants when he wants, why pray? Prayer's always been a mystery to us in that respect. It's probably the most faith-filled exercise that we carry out. May close our eyes, may not close our eyes, and we pray, we just talk, and we believe in that God hears that. But, but he's big and he's sovereign, he's huge, he doesn't really need us to pray. God chooses, God chooses to use our prayers to carry out his purposes here on earth. It's very much a mystery to us how he pulls all that together, but that's what God does. He chooses to use our prayers. And history tells us, as we think about that, that the church 
rises and falls according to its attitude to prayer. As the church commits to prayer, it's like the church over history, it just seems to rise. And as soon as the church begins to drop the baton of prayer, the church just begins to fall down again. It's a mystery, but that's how God works. He chooses to use prayer to carry out his purposes. A prayerless church and a prayerless Christian will be a powerless church and a powerless Christian. It'll have little impact on the world and gain little ground in growing Jesus' kingdom if we are a prayerless people. Which is why Paul's encouraging Timothy, get the church praying again, Timothy. This is important for a healthy, flourishing, growing church. A praying church, a praying Christian, will experience this, a growing love for Jesus. You pray and actively engage in prayer, your love for Christ will grow. A growing love for his name to be glorified. You pray and that's what will happen. You'll want his name glorified. You pray, you'll have a growing love for the Bible, for his word. The more you pray, you'll actually want to read the Bible. I want to know more about who this Jesus is. You'll have a growing love for the Holy Spirit's presence in your life as well, as you pray. You'll have a growing love for others as you pray. God will work that in our hearts as we pray. We'll have a growing love for the lost to find Jesus the more we pray. Because we'll actually understand what's their end game. What's their end result? I don't want that for my family. I've got unsaved family. I don't want that. So I'm going to pray. That's what prayer does. It grows a love for them. Here's what Charles Spurgeon says about prayer. Uh, My own soul's conviction is that prayer, prayer here, is the grandest power in the entire universe. That's a big call, but it's true. That it, is more, um, that, it is, that it has a more omnipotent force than electricity, attraction and gravitation or any of those other secret forces which men have called by name but which they do not understand. It is the grandest power in the entire universe. That's a pretty good motivation to pray, isn't it? God has ordained that he will make himself known to us through prayer. God has ordained that he will grow his kingdom and see people saved through prayer. Prayer and a Christian go hand in hand and they should be inseparable. Prayer and the mission of the gospel through the church go hand in hand and that should be inseparable as well. It's, it's a, it's a uh, two for one deal. If we leave our prayer, we're saying, I can do this Christian life on my own. Timothy, get the church praying again. They've lost focus there, Timothy. Get the men to pray. Exchange church, don't give up on praying. Engage in it. This is the power that you need to see people saved. Pray. Now, you all receive one of these as you come in today. Really important. Here's an opportunity we can pray. What we want you to do is, um, that's our mission statement on the front there, connecting people to Jesus, growing people in Jesus. On the back there it says, I'm committed to praying for these people. So here's something I'm going to write down. I'm committed to praying for these people. To be engaged. To, to build a relationship with somebody. You might have already ticked that box on a whole stack of people. Like, yep, I've got a relationship in place. That's, that's a great way to evangelise somebody. I'm committed to praying for those people to be engaged, to, to evangelise, to share Jesus with. Now, that's the hard part. It's not so bad building the relationship. 
but we don't want to leave it. We want to be intentional about our friendship. We don't want, don't want to treat them as a number. We want to be intentional about our relationship. We actually want to share Jesus with them because we know what the end game is if they don't accept Christ as their saviour. So we want to evangelise them. And we have a whole range of activities and things that we do here at the church to help do that. We've got a Christian Explored course coming up in about six or seven weeks' time. Again, you can bring people along to that. And then the last one there is to establish them. We want to see them grow as a disciple, not just get saved and that's it and walk away. No, see them grow as a follower of Jesus. So to be engaged, to be evangelised and established. Just write three names in there. Stick it in your Bible, stick it in your fridge, wherever you might be a handy place for your seat. And let's commit to praying every day. Three people, one minute, every day. Write their names down. Just say, Lord, help me to connect with that person. Lord, help me to share Jesus with that person. And Lord, help me to see them become a disciple. So let's, let's commit to that. Three names you can think of now. and Let's just see what happens over the course of this year as you are praying regularly for those people. Don't be surprised if situations arise where, gee, I actually got a chance to talk about Jesus today with them. Gee, they actually said yes to coming to church for Easter or church in the park or something like that. Don't be surprised when that happens as you pray. This is what prayer does. It actually opens up those opportunities. So you've got those cards. Write a name, three names. And then let's start praying for them, eh? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we're able to gather this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word given to uh, Paul, then given down onto Timothy. Father, thank you that we have this glorious privilege to be on mission uh, with you, with the empowering of your Holy Spirit, with the truth of the gospel. Uh, Lord, with the love of Christ flowing out through our hearts and lives, with the greatest news we could ever share. But we also know, Lord, that it's a difficult task. All of us, to some extent, are fearful. Probably the number one thing when it comes to sharing Jesus. So we thank you, God, that you call us to pray, asking your Holy Spirit to give us courage and boldness and to love them and to give them the truth to share Jesus. Lord, help us to be willing to risk ourselves but for a glorious cause that would be. And God, we are praying, please would you take these prayers and would you rescue and save the people we're going to pray for. We want to see more and more people come into a relationship with Christ to know the peace and joy that he gives, the eternal relationship that he gives. Help us to do this as a church and carry each other in this journey as well. God, we thank you today that you will honour those prayers. And according to your sovereign grace, that you will call people into your kingdom. Father, we ask that, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you found today's talk challenging and fruitful. Don't hesitate to get in touch by visiting our website or sending us an email. But we'd love for you to join us in person as well. 